over souls, bearing in depths of my steps. Good morning. This is It's Relationship, and I'm Ellie Newman. Thank you for joining us. Today, my guest is Brad Cleveland, and we'll be discussing his relationship to the industry of service delivery, the organizations, people, and technology. Brad Cleveland is known globally as one of today's foremost experts in customer strategy and management. He's worked across 45 states and in over 60 countries. His clients have included many service leaders, American Express, Apple, Coca-Cola, HP, and USAA, to name just a few. He's a consultant, entrepreneur, and renowned public speaker. He's been on NPR, so this time I'm feeling a little uh, nervous here. He's the <laughs> expert. Um, Brad was a pioneer in the industry, helping to create its terminology, expectations, and solutions. He's been a driving force in defining customer service value and processes for delivering that value and creating lifetime customers. We'll be focusing today with our discussion on the multidimensional relationships in this field, which are pretty incredible once you start diving in. I was surprised. Setting expectations, the importance of that, how to do it, and ever-changing demands and methods of communication. So that's a tall order, Brad. Welcome. We've got an hour to do it. So we'll, Thanks so we'll much, get going. It's, it's a real privilege to be here. It's really nice to have you. I was realized this morning, I was like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to Brad. We had met briefly before and sort of gone over uh, the area. I was really quite unsure as to what Brad actually did for the last six years. And so I th we met and talked about that. And as we got deeper into the topic, I just realized it was an incredibly uh, deep and fruitful area, especially for, for discussion on relationships. So I want to start with talking about call centers. Um, I had never sort of imagined in my wildest dreams or appreciated the call center being such a hotbed of dynamic action and, and relationships, but they really are. And so maybe just start with a quick definition of a call center. Sure. So if you would. Everybody's favorite topic, right? I mean, as, as customers, and the, the term is a bit of a misnomer because these are operations within companies that we all interact with that handle any kind of contact. So you think of phone, uh, the, the, the term call, but mobile apps, uh, social, um, web, chat, email, all the ways that we interact with companies. And as customers, we don't want to have to think about it. You just want to pick up a phone or use the mobile app or click on a mouse and have things happen. But internally, these, these operations, they have to be ready. They have to be ready for the kind of interactions that we, that, that we come to them with, the kind of service needs that we have. And when you use the term customer, I'm guessing that you're using that in a more broad fashion than, than the typical customer would. Yeah, you know, any of us who need to interact with any kind of organization, so across the private and public sector, really across any vertical industry. And I saw in your book that NASA not, may not realize it, but when they're talking to the astronauts in space, they're operating a call center, well, and a pretty vital one. That, that's right. Really, the, the definition of call center is any environment where two or more people are cross-trained to handle uh, interactions. So instead of a customer dialing or... or uh, contacting a specific individual, they're they're really reaching out for a service, and anybody within that uh, group uh, who's trained can handle those interactions. So, yep, <laughs> NASA qualifies. Well, and especially think about I watched Apollo 13 recently with my eight-year-old son, and you looked at 
the efficiency with which those calls were being made and what was happening behind the scenes and sort of the scheduling and organization, which we'll get deeper into with call centers, was happening there. That's right. I mean, NASA is a pretty good case study. You've, you've got to be there when the need is there. So the best private companies do that as well. They're, they, they've got the right people and processes in place when you uh, as a customer need them. So a little bit later, I want to talk about the relationships within the company and within the call center, but we'll come back to that. I want to start with the complexity within the call centers, even I think if it's a very simple call center, which I hadn't appreciated. You know, it's complete with mathematical grids. Uh, You've got call bunch up, which seems to be widely (laughs) known, whatever that is. And then what the heck are trunks? Yeah, so so great questions. As a customer, if I need help, I've, I've got a computer problem, or I need to to change a complex itinerary with with a travel company or something like that. I just want it to work, and that's the only uh, situation I'm thinking about. I've got to get through. I, I need to reach the right person. If I can't, if that doesn't happen, I think, gee, they sure could do this a lot better. On their end, they're handling hundreds or thousands of interactions. And they're initiated by their customers, so they don't know exactly when they're going to happen. Forecasting is very important, but that's really where the complexity is. Uh, contacts bunch up, and they've got to be ready. And that means you'll get a, a bunch of calls or a bunch of contacts in whatever medium you're in all at once. At one time, right. And it's certainly going to happen if there's any kind of publicity out there. Or the social channels can can generate a lot of interest or a lot of contacts very quickly. Uh, But just the normal ebb and flow throughout the day and week, a a company has to be able to forecast that and have the right people in place at the right time. There's more to it than meets the eye. And I said we're going to talk about this later, but you you just reminded me, you know, you said when there are are things happening within the company, and that seems to really affect the the chain of communication within the company because you had one example in your book of where a gal would all of a sudden, in, in I think she was in PR, dump out a press release of something happening without apprising the call center to it first. And all of a sudden, they'd be getting thousands of calls. And so the manager, I think he may have gotten fired, <laughs> it seemed like, redirected the calls to her line. Yeah. They, so there, there are all sorts of internal coordination and communication issues that have to be in place. And ultimately, delivering great service is an organization-wide responsibility. It's not just the call center or the, the customer service department. Uh, it's got to be got to be everybody. So let's talk about sort of the virtual dance. It's sort of virtual in a figurative way, but not really, because they are um, really t- reacting and acting in in rhythm to what's coming into them by the moment. Um, but there's a, a management within the center. You've got staffing, so you said you've got to make sure you've got enough people, but you don't want too many people. And they've got to be there at the right time, and then they have to be managed. So w- what does that typically look like, this, the scheduling? Right. So it's really a, a people processes and technology issue. You've got to have the technology to deliver the right contact to the right. And again, from a customer perspective, we want it to be very simple. Just give me the number to dial. Give me the, give me the mobile app that's going to enable me to get right through. Uh, but internally, we've got to put all that together. So... Uh, having a, a good forecast, having the right people in place at the right time. We've got a definition. I won't give you the whole thing, but uh, to, to bore everyone to tears here. But having the right number of properly skilled people and supporting resources in place at the right times 
to handle an accurately forecasted workload, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we, we've got to get the right resources in place. And it's time. funny because it's, once you really start to realize what's happening, it's not boring at all. You know, it's, it's like Oz, all the things that are going behind the curtain. Because as a customer, when you call, you really are not envisioning that at all. You just think, okay, I call, they answer. Sometimes they answer quickly, sometimes they don't. But you sort of visualize the one person there who tends to answer, and you think whether they were polite or not polite. But you are not imagining any of the metrics that are going on behind it. Oh, it is a crazy and amazing world. If you walk into these service operations from any, and think of thinking of companies you enjoy uh, doing business with, walk into their service operation, it is it's it's astounding for most who walk in the first time and really see what goes on. And for instance, let's take you walk into Apple, Apple's call center. You probably get a lot online, but then they have the voice available as well. Maybe a little harder to get to these days. Uh, there was a description in the book about, you know, there are secret uh, releases and when something comes out, the people in the call center may not know until that last moment, but they're sort of on the ready. They, they heads up that something might be coming, and then they sort of go into action. Yeah, How yeah. scripted is all that? Well, Apple is certainly on one end of the spectrum for how secretive they are before a product release, and it is tough for their service operation. And it's, you know, for, for obvious reasons, they want to want to be close to the vest with what they're what they're going to roll out. So they, there's no way to really script these interactions for, for Apple or for anybody, uh, at least down to, you know, here's precisely what to say. That just doesn't work. I mean, there's a reason we hire people with gray matter. They've got to communicate well. They've got to know. You and know, are there, uh, is there a typical person that is better suited for this job when you're hiring for a call center? Are there qualities or characteristics that you want to look for? Well, they've got to love to serve, um, and we sometimes hear the phrase. It's a bit of a bit of a catchphrase out there, but hire the passion and train the skill. So, you, as an organization, you can go out and look for, in Apple's case, uh, computer engineers, or in NASA's case, uh, the, the sort of aerospace engineers you'd want. Uh, just go down across the vertical sectors. But what the best organizations have found, uh, really, to a to a situation is hire those that love to serve. And then you bet, if they have some background and they may have to have certain certifications to, to bring them in, but uh, if they love to serve, you can train the rest. And, and by loving to serve, you mean like they're people, people? They're people, people, yep. And, and they've got to operate in an environment with a lot of technology, a lot of change, uh, a lot of things that you know, ebb and flow and roll out throughout the day. So they have to be adaptable. They've got to, got to adapt. And there was some discussion, too, about, you know, when you're getting a bunch of calls, if, if one of the people answering the phones, the employees, you know, they're feeling a little overwhelmed, but the break's not for a while, they might meander over to the, uh, the water cooler and kind of give themselves a, a self-imposed uh, break, and that that wreaks havoc with the, with the scheduling and the rest of the people answering the phones. Well, that, that's right. From a management perspective, we can't, we can't have a big brother kind of environment. People just don't know. None of us enjoy or appreciate that. It doesn't, doesn't work. But from an individual perspective, um, it can be tough. Handling customer interactions can be tough. And customers, I think many of them don't realize 
how hard it is on on that person when we you know we have a computer problem just unload on them uh, or or an airline you know miss of some sort and we're stranded in an airport people usually call they're already in a stressful situation they are probably feeling defensive because they're feeling a little bit out of control they are you know on time pressure so you've got sort of all of those elements working against you as far as having a collaborative constructive conversation and and pleasant well, that's right. Don't take the job if you can't take some of that, but it doesn't mean it, it, it's fun or easy in all of those cases. And so just a little bit more about the logistics of the call center. We've got sort of the science behind it and the six immutable laws. Like, what are just a couple of those? Like, I like that there's science and laws. So, yeah, great, great question. One of them is uh, we call the powerful pooling principle. And what that means is a, the operation is going to work better for both the, the company and the customer if we can cross-train our agents to handle more kinds of interactions. So rather than, okay, I'm going to handle all of the Twitter contacts, and you're going to handle phone of this kind, and, and the person next to you is going to handle you know, you know, Facebook posts. If, we, if we're all cross-trained to handle all of these kinds of interactions, it's going to be more effective and efficient. And does the customer, I know I prefer that, to just speak to someone rather than saying, press one if your question's regarding this, press two if it's this, this, because sometimes you're not quite sure, or maybe it crosses over, and sometimes you think, oh, well, maybe I'll get to a person more quickly if I press the accurate button, but I think it does add a little bit of... Uh, put more responsibility on the customer. Well, it, it does. And if, it, if it's too complicated for the customer or if we feel like we can get better service if we you know, select just a little different number. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, You're playing, we're to, playing the game. Then, then that's not going to work for anybody. And organizations that, that make it too complex set themselves up for that. For that failure. And so uh, you also mentioned in the book, I want to get to cues, but first, uh, first call resolution, which people would think would be very good, but it can also be bad. So, so how does that work? Well, the research is showing that it, it's much more efficient for the organization and certainly a big boost for customer satisfaction if we can resolve those interactions as they happen. So if you've got... You know, if you've got a something you need, you need resolved, the, the first thing you're probably going to do is go online, do a quick search, use a mobile app, you know, use some some way to try to get to the information as quickly as possible. Whether from the company or not, right? Oh, you're perfectly sure. happy be, to get it from another user or maybe someone that had the, the other problem. No, as customers, we don't care. It can be from anybody as long as it's, you know, something that, that that's useful to us. But make it quick. Get to it quickly. So by the time we interact with the company, it's a level two issue. It's it's more complex. These are not easy, you know, just provide information sort of interactions like they were twenty or thirty years ago. So we've we've got to have we've got to have people in place that really understand what's what's going on. A first call resolution uh, is a huge boost to customer satisfaction. Just make it easy for me as a mm -hmm. customer. Enable me to get through and get it done. The downside of first call resolution internally is like any measure, if you look at it in isolation, you can be fooling yourself. I mean, if, we, if we've got marketing sending out information that generates, that we didn't know about, and it generates a whole bunch of simple questions, and in the call center, we're handling one after another after another, thinking, wow, we're doing a terrific job, uh, but we really need to go and fix that customer communication so we don't generate all these unnecessary contacts. We may show a high first call resolution, but... 
We're really but it's because they shouldn't have been calling anyway. Shouldn't have been calling in the first place. Yeah. I thought that was really the, the best call center, the best contact center gets no, you know, there, there's no need for any unnecessary interaction. And of course, they're going to happen, but uh, don't fool yourself into thinking you've got a great operation. Because calls were, lots were made, they were handled quickly, and everyone left happily. That's not necessarily good. That's right. And if it's a product design issue, if it's a marketing issue, if it's a you know a customer communication issue that can be resolved elsewhere, the the uh, the call center can be a real strategic asset in pointing those those things out and working with other parts of the organization upstream. So before we take a break, just a couple other points I want to hit on. Um, the cues. I thought that, again, was something, as a caller, you don't think about in the way that it is thought about from the back end, as far as whether it's visible and invisible and what customers like better and what works better and people's expectations with those different mode modalities. And, you know, you had happy faces, sad faces. And with the invisible cue, people started out kind of sad and then got happier. And so it was it was or the other way around, I guess, right? The, the, but could you talk about that a little bit, what yeah, queuing so, is in the industry? So there are two basic kinds of queues. The visible kind where you go to the grocery store, you go to a, uh, go to a, a sports arena, um, even a toll booth on an expressway. There is a queue. You can see it. You know exactly what you're getting into. So if it's a long queue, you're you're not going to be real happy about it. Uh, from from at least you can crank a U-turn on the Golden Gate Bridge if you must go That's back. Right. <laughs> in a in a call center, we we dial a number uh, and we expect something to happen. And you hear ringing, and then you hear a delay announcement, probably. Um, and and you expect something to happen. Uh, over time, as the seconds are ticking by, you become uh, less. You know, you're, you're becoming disenchanted about having to wait, and so that's the that's the real difference between a visible cue and an invisible cue. It's the different psychology. And telling them what to expect, how long to wait, and now you even have callbacks, which seems rather new. That you can say, "I'd rather not wait, but call me back and give my number to a recording." Right. Press one, leave a message. We'll get back to you yeah. within five yeah. minutes. Yeah, it's uh, quite satisfying. Becoming, it's like, oh, uh, I can do things in those five minutes. Yeah. Get something done. Systems are becoming pretty, pretty capable, and we like that. It's, if we're given an option, and, and and I wonder though, if again, that's a double-edged sword, like the microwave. You know that that people started to expect their dinner to be ready in two minutes and forty seconds, and they were going to have to sit down and actually prepare it. And so it's good to let people have realistic expectations, but are we also setting people's expectations to be very <laughs> impatient customers? Well, they, yes, we are impatient and increasingly so with, uh, you know, hand, you know, there are 6.8 billion phone, uh, mobile phones in the world. More of them all the time are smartphones. They do things. We're carrying more around in our pockets and purses than a you know mainframe or, or certainly desktop used to have not used so to long fill ago. Three floor buildings. So we want you know we we want service now. We want it easy. We want it through the channel that we're in, whether it's mobile or phone or what sitting in front of our computer. Just make it easy. Make it. Dope. And so I want to just talk about the the hang up on both sides. There was a situation where Zappos actually pulled the plug um, and and put on a busy signals and then turned off the the system completely is that your your last uh choice as a company that that would be the nuclear option that was and and that's certainly rare for zappos they're they're a real standout organization in terms of the service they provide but um that can happen you get totally overwhelmed uh 
to to a to a point where you just it's better to, to just it's stop. Better to, better to send a busy signal. And and is that true on the customer side too? Hanging up. We talked about that briefly. I'll always. My husband travels a great deal, and he works with a lot of um, agents on airlines. And I can tell sometimes it's just not going well, and I'm in the background waving, waving, saying, "Just hang up, just hang up, and call back." Yeah, certainly. We can we can hang up when we're in queue. We can hang up after we get through, and we're talking to someone that you know what I don't feel totally comfortable with how this is going. So, you know, I think I've got what I need. Thank you. Hang up. Dial back. Talk to talk to somebody. And may else. you get different responses from different people. Um, and can different people make, do different things or realize they can do different things? Certainly, and organizations have no idea what it's what it's costing them when that happens. You know, it's a training issue. It's a it's a maybe a quality of information on the on the desktop issue on their end. But as customers, if we're getting different answers, um, that, that that is a imagine the cost of all those repeat contacts. And what are the, you mentioned a few root causes of that. What for them is poor service on their part because it's costing them something. For me, it could be kind of good if I'm going to get my money back on it, my airline ticket I just canceled. What does the company start to see when they're hang ups? Can they kind of trace it back and say, okay, we've got a problem further on back down the line? They've got all of that information if they know where to dig, but they're. There, you've got to know how to piece the information together internally, and some don't. They just see, well, that, that's that's a, a call that's complete. They don't realize you just hung up and you're calling right back. Uh, so, so if they really put the pieces together, they begin to see, hey, let's get our training right, let's get our information right, uh, so so that we really are boosting. You know, back to that first call resolution uh, it, measure, and realize that it wasn't actually a success. All right, well, we're going to come back after a short break and talk about what you do to help them to see all of these issues and concerns and make training plans. So, stick with us. I'm here with Brad Cleveland. This is Ellie Newman on its relationship, and we'll be right back. This is Ellie Newman on its relationship and we're back i'm here with brad cleveland we're just about to talk about his role in this dynamic and growing changing field so brad i want to know what you do you're part sleuth part architect and engineer (laughs) part trainer and master communicator from what i can decipher um so when do you typically step in and start working with a company so, yeah, I usually describe what I do as a three-legged stool. We do uh, writing, we do consulting, and we do speaking. So going into a company would be the consulting piece or, or perhaps speaking and executive briefing for their, exec, for their, for their upper-level management team, something like that. It's interesting. It's almost a bifurcated uh, experience. We get called in by organizations that, that have really tough situations. I mean, they're... They've got service misses. Their customers are rebelling. So they typically um, know they're in trouble. Like they, they know, know something's broken. There's some disconnect. Something's not working. Right. And then we get called in by organizations that, wow, they're doing a lot of things really well. And they just want to continue to get better. And it's more of that middle ground we would, we would love to see. You know, fix it before it's broken. And so they call you. You step in. Uh, are you sort of undercover at first and, and paying attention to what's happening? Or do you go in and, and do initial trainings? Or does it depend on sort of their situation? It really depends. We like to get our information from a lot of sources. So we'll look at their reports. We'll look at customer surveys. You know, some of the things that immediately come to mind, we'll, we'll try to talk to some of their 
customers firsthand. But those closest to the work really do know it best. And talking to their their employees who are handling these interactions, they can tell you, they can tell you in minutes um, where the system gaps are. Um, where the processes are breaking down, you know, where, where the improvement opportunities really are. So we, we love to spend time with them. And the, there's sort of a linear track from if there's a product or brand or service, brand value down to customer service, and now sort of in the new age, looping back around. And so are you helping companies with both ends of that? Yeah, so the, the the buzzword out there today is customer experience. And customer experience starts with our brand promise and what are we promising around specific products, how are we rolling them out, and then, of course, the attributes, the, the functionality of those products, how well they're working, and out of that come customer service issues. And ideally, you know, the best companies are interacting with their customers and learning how do we build right back to the beginning our brand promise and how do we improve our products and services so that they're really meeting the needs and living up to to, to the promises we're making. So the, this terminology and actually this career path and this industry really didn't exist when you first began in it. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about how you got here. What did the road look like? Where it started and sort of what were the the turns and, and um, straightaways? Yeah, wow. It wasn't any um, incredible plan on my part. A lot of serendipity and, and just things kind of opened up here and there. But I, I started working with an interconnect company. When I was in college. And what uh, were you studying in college? Uh, history and political science. Very applicable, right? Exactly. Actually, you there, can see how the path than, leads than here. I thought there might be, but I, I started as the uh, lowest person on the totem pole in a, an interconnect company that did data and telecom systems. I was usually the guy underneath floors running cable you know, through dark spaces and dust and spider webs and creatures scurrying by just outside a flashlight range. And it, it was hard work. But I had some good mentors in those days, and they, they really helped me see, hey, communication is going to be huge in this world taking shape. And we, you know, they, they used the term wired world. We're, we're becoming a wired world. We're more of a wireless world today, but the point stands. We're very connected. Connected is probably a better, a better term. So working with, you know, working with this organization, I realized we're – we're training on how to use the system, but not how to really boost strategic value. You know, how to really, how do we really get at what customers need? So you guys were selling them the systems that you were going in and actually physically implementing the systems and then training the people on how to use these systems, but not really making the connection between their product, their services, and how they could best utilize the system. That's right. And that's where I really begin to get interested in, hey, this is a multidiscipline uh, issue. This is a multifaceted opportunity that we have to serve customers where they are. Uh, the technology is just an enabler. It's not going to solve problems for us if we're not harnessing it and really rolling out to our customer base, the, the, the kind of access and just intuitive service that they're asking for. No technology does that in and of itself. And, and what was sort of the backdrop of the business culture at that time? So that's the early 90s. Was there an appreciation of the value of customer loyalty and even customer communication and customer service? Was that 
sort of on the top of people's lists or even on their list? A great, great question. In, in the early 90s, the economy was getting a, a bit a bit tough. Um, service was becoming more of a differentiator. So I, I think there was an appreciation for for service. That's ebbed and flowed over the past couple of decades, you know, two and a half decades. The late 90s, when, you know, the web came along in 93. The Internet had been around for a long time, but harnessing it through the, through the web and browsing. Thanks to Al Gore, right? Right. We, we the, well, that's a fascinating story. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of pieces that, that made that feasible for, you know, for customer service mm-hmm. applications. But in the late 90s, when, when automated service was going to displace any form of agent-assisted services, we know it, right? That's what many of the gurus were suggesting. Uh, companies cut way back, and it was almost a one- Cut back on service. Cut back on service. And when the economy uh, in, in 2000, and then certainly 2001, 2002, uh, got pretty bad, uh, a lot of Someone stuck a needle in the balloon. Yeah, they, they, they weren't ready for- um, for the kind of service issues that came came along, and they, there was this rebellion. And was customers' distrust of these companies also sort of hampered? I mean, on both sides, right? Nobody really liked either each other. Well, right, and there there was a lot of fallout, and that was back in the you know the, the Sarbanes Oxley came around came along that some of the financial reporting issues and. Um, it, it was it was a it was a tough. And had season. you you'd been working in the industry doing consulting in this area to sort of fill this hole, this gap during those ten years prior? Yes, and the the demographics of our of our clientele changed somewhat um, o- over the years. There there were still in the early two thousands there were still those who wanted to do a great job. Um, USAA is one the insurance company. They're consistently rated among the the top companies anywhere across any vertical sector for great service. And one of the reasons is in good times or in bad, they, they've continued to invest in understanding their customers and putting the kinds of services in place that, that work for them. And when did outsourcing call centers sort of take off? It seems to have waned a bit now. Was that during that period? The heyday was really in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, a lot of labor arbitrage. And, and what was the motivation, do you think? And it, it could vary. Um, some companies had the best of intentions. You know, we, we're, we're a global company. We're an airline or software hardware company, something like that. We've got a global customer base, uh, put services close to our, our, our customers. Um, that's fine. In many cases, though, it was to cut costs. And there was really an allergic reaction across the customer base to if, if you know you're, you're reaching someone who's not trained. They're they're not ready for this. The processes aren't in place. Uh, a lot of outsourcing went very poorly. And how important are sort of alignment within cultural similarities and communication patterns and sort of tr- uh, traditional forms of communicating? Like, was that part of the problem with people's disillusionment or unhappiness with those communications oh it's huge yeah you've got to have a you've got to have a a real understanding of who your customers are and again at the same time uh that that outsourcing was kind of entering its heyday we these were becoming level two issues you you could do you could use self-service applications you could you could get this information in a lot of different ways so if you need to interact with somebody uh, it's a more complex issue and 
for companies that simply tried to throw their service operation over the wall and cut costs, it was disaster. So I heard that McDonald's had recently considering the idea of outsourcing their actual orders in the drive through line, that the person that you met at the window wouldn't actually take the order. It would be taken somewhere else and then put up on the screen. Does that make any sense to you? Um, well, there, there, yeah, there are some applications that, that can make sense. They're certainly not doing that across the board, but um, there, there, there is some of that. There, you know, I want to just a footnote to this whole mm-hmm. thing. I am not anti-outsourcing. I'm not these camps pro-outsourcing and anti-outsourcing. I might be in the anti. I, I guess if it's want, how it's done, if it's, it's done it's well. Done. I want to do what's, if, if I'm CEO of an organization, I want to do what's best for my customers. And ultimately that long-term loyalty that a great experience is, is going to engender is is huge. So outsourcing can help that if it's the right kind of outsourcing, but, but it's got to be an operation that's very close to the heartbeat of our brand and, and where we're going. To the brand and the value and also matching customer expectation, which might vary in another country and for other countries, outsourcing may be more productive and effective depending. So you have dealt with over 60 different cultures in your travels over the last 25 years. Are the dynamics and the challenges very different or very much the same that you deal with? And and your approach, is it different or, or pretty similar when you're going into, say, China or Russia? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've, I've been surprised over the years at how similar service operate, great service operations are. The language might be different. Certainly HR, you know, human resources policies, labor policies, that sort of thing vary widely from one country to the next. But our work overseas has primarily been for organizations that want to serve their domestic markets. And to, to do that well, um, understand your customers well, forecast the workload, roll out the channels that they want to use, um, put put the, the, the right kind of skills and knowledge uh, in place, hire, hire smart. Those principles apply across the board. So it's been fascinating to me. There's more in common than, than, than not. Than not. And so you don't necessarily have to, prior to going into Russia or China, understand the answer to all those questions. You just have to know that these are the questions that they need to be asking and find answers to to be able to send up, set up successful customer relations. That, that's right. And I want to be courteous, so I learned, you know, learned some basics about how to say hello and goodbye, but I'll have translators if, if, uh, if it's a non-English speaking um, environment that I'm going into. Uh, but I have to go in with a with a lot of humility because I don't understand their customers and their culture like they do. So hopefully I can ask the right questions, can bring principles uh, in uh, that, that apply across the board. But ultimately it's, it's their approach to their customer base that, that's going to really differentiate and make it work for them. And I'm sure you are the expert on working with airlines since you travel so much. You definitely have experience on both ends, extensive experience. All right, well, we'll be right back. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. I'm here with Brad Cleveland, and we are talking about call centers and beyond. So stick with us. We're back. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship with Brad Cleveland. And we are talking about call centers, expectations, communication, challenges, and successes. 
And Brad, I want to talk a little bit about management within the organization, so communication within and setting expectations high enough but not too high. So the call centers, I would guess, are pretty much their own environment within a larger company and operate to their own systems and principles who people outside of that environment may not appreciate or understand. How challenging is it to make everyone aware of the importance and the value and potential value of these call centers? Yeah, call centers have had a bit of an identity crisis over the years because uh, of the perception that you you know you just answer the phone, right? right. Just right. respond yeah, just to the, the phone email. and fix the problem. It's got to be easy, and it's really only when their colleagues go into the environment. And that's the thing we encourage them to do: get get your colleagues into that environment, let them sit next to your age and see what step happens. Step in the shoes, and most are blown away. You know, just the volume of interactions and then how complex they are. These are not, you know, these are not things you can Google in a heartbeat and get the answer to. You've already done that as a customer. So there, there's a lot more to it than, than meets the eye. And they have to get their colleagues in there to really see firsthand uh, what, how much there is to it. Because you need them to understand it, right? Because it has to be funded. They have to be willing to work together and collaborate and share information. Communication has to pass through, especially now, really both directions. Oh, that's right. I, a quick story on that. I worked with an insurance company on the East Coast, pretty large company. You know who they are. And they sent out a, um, a policy change to their you know hundreds of thousands of members. And it was signed by millions of members. And it was signed by Tim, someone I'm going to forget his last name. So they get all these calls from people asking to speak <laughs> to Tim. Want to speak to Tim? And the, the, you know, their, their first question is, well, Tim who? There's like 12 Tims in our, in our call center. And, oh, that Tim. Um, you know, I'd, you. I'd be happy to help you with that, sir. And, and so right there, in a way, you've just disappointed them. Right? They called for Tim. They called for Tim and they can't speak to Tim. And, That's right. Yeah, so right off the bat, and you're such, sort of at minus one. Such a simple example. But even those those simple things, we've got to get right. Word it in a way that any of us are here to, to help and, and serve. And then have the resources in place that hopefully they don't have to be interactions. They're, they're understood and, and, and the communication is clear going out from other areas. And what is the value, the upside, uh, upsides of running a successful call center? It's huge, and the research continues to um, identify what what that looks like. An example is um, there there was a recent study that took different uh, quartiles of service ratings. So, companies in the top quartile. They would look at their stock appreciation and companies in the bottom three quarters, uh, they'd look at their stock appreciation, huge difference. I mean, a multiple of three, uh, three times the return. That's a public company. It's not a perfect example of, of every organization across the board, but any, any way you drill down into this, and there's a lot more research to be done than has been done, but customer loyalty, brand loyalty is huge. And, and is it affecting the net promoter score? Is it something that is going to matter to th how customers are valuing the company? Absolutely. The, the service we provide when our customers need to interact with us is one of the, one of the biggest influences on net promoter score, which incidentally is a very popular way to measure you know, how, how happy are our customers, how likely is it they're going to tell their friends and neighbors and colleagues about our great And are service. they fickle? So if they've loved the product up until this point, you know, and maybe it failed prior to when they thought it should have or they're having a problem, if that problem then is not solved in a manner that is courteous and effective and respectful, are they out? 
Uh, they can be. It depends on the options they have. Um, and even if they're not, they, they can uh, sit down and communicate with a million of their best friends through social channels. In about 10 seconds. In about 10 seconds. So I want to talk a little bit about that, how, how call centers are changing and the demands upon them are changing. You said we are now seeing a major and fundamental shift. We'll see more change in the next five years than we've seen in the past two decades. We're entering the new era of customer relationships, empowered customers, more types of interactions. So is that pleasing to these companies or terrifying or a bit of both? Uh, it's it's an opportunity, but it's terrifying to many. Um, some some see it as the opportunity to it, it really is, but this is an area where you know in, in the past we've been in con- we we on the company side have been in control. We put in routing systems, we put in the kind of information systems I started out with in my early career. Um, all of that's going to enable service delivery. Now it's what's happening on the customer side. The you know, smartphones are Exhibit A. Um, I I can do anything I want with it. I want service to be quick and intuitive. So the balance of power has really shifted to our customers. And yeah, it's 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 terrifying. It doesn't have to be. You just have to you really have to to manage and, and enable this area. And how has it changed your role and your approach to working with the companies? Uh, there's a lot more. There's a lot more urgency to service delivery in general. Um, It's not something that okay, let's come up with a 18 month strategic plan and begin moving, you know, moving the ball forward. Um, We more and more we're hearing we've we've got to fix this now. We've mobile's a great example. It it is taking off like you know if you graph it out, mobile use is, is like a hockey stick and it generates certain kinds of service interactions. And there's there's a, a real need to get the right resources in place so that we're not disappointing customers who are using our mobile apps and other things that we're rolling out. And so how do you train and teach people in companies and companies themselves how to be so easily adept at, at being adaptable and adapting? I think we saw a bit of that problem. You know, we see it often. We look at the government in, in any area. But when they were rolling out the health care, Obamacare, you know, you, you thought, you know, I'm sure this company was putting a lot of effort into doing a really good job and providing good customer service. And it was a disaster. It was a disaster. And that's... It, that whole experience is shedding a lot of uh, a lot of light on how much there is to delivering great service and getting those pieces in place. And almost an unfair disaster. I saw something on John Stewart, and he was making a joke because I guess Walmart, the exact same thing had happened. The systems had crashed in the exact same way, and that was seen as a huge success for the country and the economy because people were shopping so much. It crashed the system, but. The, the customer wasn't going to give that same leeway for actually getting their health care from the government. Well, so, it was, so how it was do you so, what do you do when they call you? Have they called you yet? Yeah, uh, <laughs> we we've worked with different pieces of of, of the operation, but there that, you know that's that's happening from small organizations to large organizations. That one had so much publicity and so much fanfare before it was launched, and they just were in no way, shape, or form ready to roll it out. Uh, so it, it's been good in a sense of in the sense of a lot of organizations at the top level realizing we we can't let this happen to us in our somewhat smaller world than than an entire population. Let's not let that happen to our customer base. And is it clear for you to look at the situation and if you did get a call next week to say, okay, you don't want this to happen to you. Here's what you need to do. Yeah, we there. The, you, you've got to give it a little. 
you got to have a little time to put things in place. I mean, you can't you can't fix these things in ten minutes flat. You've you've got to plan ahead. It's it's really a multifaceted people process technology uh, issue. All of those things have to be in place. So give yourself enough you know enough time in advance to get get the right services in place. And so, what are if you can name just a few sort of the basic principles of of trying to maintain and create customer satisfaction and customer experience. We know you certainly have mentioned setting expectations, communicating. What are sort of the other basic elements? We always start with a, we call it a blueprint, a customer access strategy, customer interaction strategy, where we're starting, first of all, with an understanding of who our customers are. Who are they, or our prospects? Who, who do we want to be our customers? How, what, what's going on in their world? How do they like to interact? How do they like to consume services? Uh, and, and then going down from there. And how are you figuring that out? Um, talk to them through you know, lots <laughs> Imagine of, that. Right? <laughs> and it can be informal. That, that always makes sense. Informal and anecdotal is just, is just fine as a part of it. And um, do they want to talk to surveys. you? Absolutely. As customers, we love to, we, you know, if if we've got the time and if, if, if the questions come across sincere and in the right way, we love to share what we want. We are telling companies in so many ways, here's how you can make my life better. Here's how you can make my life easier. It's not rocket science to listen to our customers on the organization side and put the services in place that they want. It's it's something you have to respect. And like any profession, like any discipline, there there's there's methodology, there's science to it. But start by listening. What do they want? And how much has there you said methodology and science, how much in the twenty five years you've been in this industry has that developed? It wasn't there when you started. Is it there now? You've got your book that is has been out now for a few months. You've got another one on the way. This one is that it's been out for a few months. Is the third edition? Some things have changed a lot, and some you know some of the basic principles have not changed. Forecasting workloads, um, hiring the right people, uh, getting getting the right organizational structure in place. Those sorts of things they're 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 not changing so much. What is changing are all the ways that we interact as customers. So. Mobile most recently has 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 just been this tidal wave in terms of how it's it, it's been adopted and how it's being used. Social media is changing the game. You know, again, we've all got a printing press to our, our our best friends out in the world, and you can reach them in in an instant. You can reach them while you're on hold. Uh, so, and you can be online while that. you're on hold as well, doing your own research. That's right, and and we all do that, right? If we're if we're trying to make something happen, we'll try different angles at it. We've got a lot of options. So the best organizations are they're rolling out, they're in those channels, they're they're harnessing Twitter and Facebook and and blogs and and online um, sort of FAQ, frequently asked question documents, and and all the ways that you would want to interact with them. And not just the companies that are coming out of Silicon Valley, the startups, the tech companies. The old schools are, are doing the same? Sure. Some of the automobile manufacturers are doing a really good job with social media, for example. I was I visited uh, GM Center in, in uh, Detroit just a month or two ago. And, and w- when I walked into their call center, the first part of their call center anyway, it was very quiet. You couldn't hear anyone speaking. It was because they were interacting with a hundred different automobile forums, communities out there, um, and they're they're 
joining those conversations. They're they're a living, breathing part of the kind of dialogue going on with with customers. And how exciting it must have been to all of a sudden go online and, and see there were all of these conversations going on and all of this information that could be extremely useful, available just by pushing a button. Oh, sure. I mean, customers love it when organizations are out there, when they're involved. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a moment. I want to talk about the new 49ers stadium and, and embracing all of this new technology and what those demands entail. All right. We're back. This is Ellie Newman on its relationship on KDPI 89.3 FM. I'm here with Brad Cleveland. And Brad, you said I want to talk a little bit about the call centers and the demands, the new demands on them and the new potentials for them to really elevate the value and brand of companies. You said they are increasingly important to the company's success. They are strategic assets, hubs of communication, and vital to understanding and serving diverse customers. And they are becoming more complex and probably will even, you didn't say this, but I'm thinking will even more so in the future and, and pretty quickly. Um, how is technology changing the demands and opportunities and the relationships? And has the power balance shifted? You talked a little bit about, you know, the companies used to be in charge, and now maybe the, the um, I don't want to say the inmates are running the asylum, but, you know, maybe <laughs> they're driving the ship. Um, you had mentioned we met before about the new 49ers stadium and, and uh, how they are trying to build to these new demands. Could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, they're they're a great example. I had the chance to meet Jed York, CEO of the 49ers. He was at a conference right here in Sun Valley recently, put on by Dave Wharton and the Tugboat Summit, uh, Tugboat Institute. But just in talking, getting a chance to talk to him about the new stadium uh, that's going up in Santa Clara, they're they're harnessing the software and hardware purchases that have already been made. So we've already bought our iPhones and our Samsungs and all this equipment, all the software. And you go to a game, you, you've got you know tens of millions of dollars of of uh, capability walking through the door that you can harness. So uh, what what they're doing is spending a lot of, of time and effort thinking about mobile feeds. You know, how do we enable uh, customers to watch a replay from different angles or see what that athlete's doing in the community, uh, the, the kind of service project that they're, uh, that they're, they're looking at, or uh, maybe we want to just buy a shirt or get another hot dog. Lots of ways to experience a game. It's a different approach philosophically than putting one great big screen up in the middle of a stadium and deciding what we're going to feed to our fan base. You're no longer really the sole director of the show. That's right. And so from a customer service perspective, that's what the best organizations are doing. They, they know, hey, our customers have all of these capabilities they're carrying around. Um, how, do we, how do we do our part to facilitate that, to facilitate a great experience, but not dictate, not just decide you know, what, what that's going to look like? You can't do that anymore. And so is the new question, how do you harness the, the devices that they have out there, sure. that the customers have? And how much focus is put on sort of the social element of that? And, and thinking about the 49ers station, how mu- stadium, how, how much of it is the sort of collaborative experience and interacting with each other? Um, and are companies taking advantage of those conversations, the conversations that are going on between customers in relationship to their products and services? Yeah, enabling enabling those interactions among customers is is hugely important. And as an organization, we've got to know where do we step in and become part of that conversation and where do we get out of the way? 
you know, what would Miss Manners say? We we always use the example of walking into a conference room. You're not you're not just going to start. You're not going to walk in and start talking. You want to be a disruptive force. You 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 want to listen. You want to really understand what do they need and and enable conversations to take place that maybe you don't even need to be part of. There is one example in your book, and I want you to mention the title of your book and your upcoming book. Um, and I was it Intuit. It was a company that was ninety eight percent of the conversations about product and how to use it and solving solutions was happening amongst and within the community itself completely separate from any involvement of company employees. Yeah, Intuit's a great example. Uh, so they programmed into their, they make accounting software and their packages for small businesses. They programmed uh, the ability for users to click right out into a community and you can pose a question. Maybe you're a Maybe you're a farmer in Montana and you blew a, a tractor tire. You know, do you have to amortize it? Can you expense it? You can pose a question to the community very easily. One click of a button and you're in that community. And by lunchtime, you're going to have six answers. And Intuit doesn't have to be involved at all. They can So they're there and they've got the capacity to answer questions about the software itself. But all of these issues around it. Um, you're, you're, in their case, harnessing a very powerful community to, to, to help you out. And so what happens to the company that doesn't sort of join the parade and come along? Are, are they, is there any hope? I, I know you had mentioned when you and I spoke that FedEx was one of the first companies to really appreciate customer experience and a lifetime customer and the value of a lifetime customer. Is that still relevant? And, and do they need to really be providing all of these services, sort of whether they like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not? Certainly. And FedEx has been a long-time example of, of keeping the eye, keeping their eye on what customers want and need. They've been a, a great example. Those principles aren't changing. Customer loyalty, uh, long-term customer value, they're, they're not going away. We just have more channels, more ways to interact. Companies that don't uh, enable their customers to interact through the channels they want and have the, the gray matter, the smarts, the the brand really shining through in those interactions, they're, they're paying a big price. And so is there a, a new industry developing also around that? I mean, you your industry is now I, I mean, completely valid, not that you're before, but recognizable and valid, and there are now courses and colleges and majors you can take. Is, is this also happening where people are then b- being part of an actual company as an employee and, and having this role? You know, this is that's an interesting question because I really operate. We the whole customer service space operates as a, an industry or a profession within industries. So, you can talk about utilities and airlines and hotels and retail and computer hardware and software. And there's all these vertical industries. Service is really a profession within these industries, and the principles are, are very similar across the board. Uh, but for that reason, it's been a little harder to get the, the recognition and even the, the terminology that people immediately relate to. From the, just the, the short time we've spent together, I sort of see that the loop has come full circle from the hole that you saw initially and uh, companies being successfully able with their new technology to communicate out to the customer in a satisfactory way and serve them satisfactorily. It's come full circle as far as now customers are communicating back to the company in all of these modes and methods as far as being able to improve brand and value and product. 
And are companies recognizing that? Is that also, is that what's going to happen in the next five years, or is that already something that that is completely seen and, and viable? Yeah, more, it's a great question. More more are all the time. They're seeing the strategic value of really listening and, and having that full feedback loop. Uh, voice of the customer is, is a, a term sometimes used, but you know, customer experience is, is all encompassing and has to have that loop back to the, the very beginning. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me on its relationship and enlightening us on the strategic value of customer service. It's an incredibly fast-moving train. I'm going to be eager to have you back, join us again, and update us on the new challenges and opportunities created by the constantly changing technology and social media. To learn to thrive in the new era of customer relationships and get Brad's new book, the third edition of Call Center Management on Fast Forward, he's got an even newer one coming out soon, And you can check out his entire website at www.bradcleveland.com. You can contact him directly at brad at bradcleveland.com. Brad, thanks again. It was a real pleasure to have you. This is Ellie Newman on Its Relationship, KDPI 89.3 FM, Ketchum. So when World War Three starts, I can look back and know what I was thinking. I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could?